are officially welcome to the second season of Colavari Creativity Series, where we explore the world of creativity and innovation. My name is Zika and I moderate this podcast. So if you're new to this podcast, you're very, very welcome. What we do here basically is to explore the interesting field of creativity and innovation. You know, one of the things that we aim to do is make the concept of creativity very, very relatable. And for those of us that listen to the first season, I'm sure that the mystery, the myth behind, you know, creativity and being innovative was debunked. So you can catch up on the first season. It's available on Deezer, on Stitcher, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast um, platforms. And feel free to drop a comment on Instagram at Colavari Solutions. When you listen to the podcast, we want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your learnings and um, your reviews. So, um, as always, I have Aziz here. Hello, Aziz. Hello, Zika. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Fine. It's good to be back for season two. Yes, yes. We're back and ready. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I mean, because this is, this is the first episode of, of um, season two, I'll talk a bit about uh, Polavari Solutions. Yeah. Uh, it's a people-focused human resource firm based in Nigeria. And we, our primary focus is on talent management learning and development, and uh, human resource consulting. Uh, for us, the Collaborative Creativity Series is our contribution to the discourse on creativity and innovation. Uh, you said that uh, there was, there's a lot of mystery and meat said with creativity. So we felt that we could um, make some of the concepts and the ideas behind creativity and innovation uh, relatable so that people can understand. And uh, so for us, that's... That's the reason behind the Colavari Creativity Series. So you have heard it from him. Colavari is not just about the podcast. There are a lot of other things that Colavari Solutions does. So you can actually check the website www.colavarisolutions.com for more information. So today we'll be talking about the origin of creative ideas and today's episode will be in two parts and um, this is the first part. So stay tuned for the second one. So we want to know where we get creative ideas from. In the first season, I think we successfully, you know, talked about what creativity is, what innovation is, and break down that um, illusion around it. Yes. So now we want to start off by knowing where these creative ideas come from. I think it's a a very good um, way to start because... Good creative ideas are the foundations of all innovations and inventions. So, um, a lot of what has helped to progress uh, the, the human race, the starting point had been good creative ideas. So, I think what we want to do in this episode is to be able to separate the myth from the truth so that we can focus our energies on what actually works. So, I think first things first, what is a creative idea? Good question. But, but before I, I, I talk about that, I just want to say that this episode f- was inspired by a book that I read and I'm still reading that is called Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation by Stephen Johnson. For anybody interested in knowing more about this, I would recommend you get that book. Very good book. Okay, so a good idea or what we call a creative idea is one that it's novel or new 
and appears useful at the same time. So two conditions must be met. One, it's it's new and it's also useful. And it promises to create value when implemented. So that's talking about the innovation part of it. So creativity on its own is of no relevance if the idea is not going to, going to be implemented. Yeah. So a good idea is one that is novel and useful. useful. And when implemented, derives value, creates value. I think we established this also in the first season when we defined what creativity is. Yeah. Okay, so now that we understand what a creative idea is, where do these ideas actually come from? I, I would I would share a story. I think it was it was one of the the thing that inspired me to look at this particular uh, this topic. So during the Christmas holiday, uh, myself and my wife went to visit my sister. My wife had this jacket on that was made of Nigerian twins, you know, okay. nines, nines jacket. And uh, maybe we stepped into the house and my sister saw her jacket. She said, who made it for you? She must have copied somebody else. Mm. You know, and, 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 and I was listening to them. They kept on going back and forth. My wife was saying, no, somebody made it for me. My sister was saying <laughs> she must have copied somebody else. Mm. And, and, and I realized that that scenario plays out thousands of times daily across different um, uh, scenarios. People yeah. always think that, oh, you copied this idea from me, or I copied yeah. this I, 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 idea from you. But the truth is that all new ideas come, come from, from existing ideas. Mm. So if, if, if Zika, you and I are staring at the same idea, the probability that the new ideas will come up with will be similar is very high. Yeah. So we have to understand that the human brain is incapable of coming up with new ideas out of nothing. It's, it, that's not how it works. The human brain comes up with ideas based on what it is seeing. Okay? So, good ideas are not contrived out of thin air. They are built out of a collection of existing parts. If we could assume that the, the, the ideas are like parts. Some of these parts are concepts. Some of them are theories. Some of them are laws. You know, some, some of them are uh, uh, people's ideas that they have put out there. Some of these parts are actually mechanical or physical parts. So when you come up with a new idea, you are using what already exists to come up with that new idea. And according to Stephen Johnson, I think it's very important, he says, the trick of having a good idea is not to sit down in isolation yeah. and try to think big thoughts, which a lot of people do. A lot of people, you know, when they want to come up with ideas, they yes. lock themselves up and they yes. say, it's like, they are trying to evoke an yeah. idea out of nothing. <laughs> but, that, but, that's, but that's not how it works. He says the trick is to get more parts on the creative table. So if we assume creativity has a table from which you come up with the new ideas, the trick of coming up with good ideas is to ensure that you have a lot of parts on it's that on table. creative table. Mm. It, helps you come, it helps you to come up with new and good creative ideas. So why it almost feels like a strong a stronghold? Why do we then feel that um, creativity or a thought comes from nowhere? It just comes out of nowhere. Why yeah. is that? Why is that feeling very strong? And when that happens, I feel like okay, that is creativity. Yeah, and that's what they call the eureka moment. moment I yes. mean, there's the popular uh, Isaac Newton story that you know he thought about the whole. 
gravity, the whole laws of, of gravity and everything, when he was sitting under an, an apple tree mm. and an apple fell and made it like, wow, mm. you know, that's gravity. No. Mm. Now, so there are two reasons why um, we think that way. The first is that the process of idea generation is highly subconscious, meaning that you don't have a direct control over it. it your brain on its own basically just plays around with, with all that. You know, so there is really no human effort in that regard. So it feels like it's just coming from nowhere. Exactly. But meanwhile, the brain is, the brain subconsciously, the brain is doing a, a lot of things. And we explained this in uh, one of the episodes in season one, uh, where we talked about the default mode network. Yeah. The default mode network is like an idea generator. So every time your brain is not fixed to a particular task, your brain typically goes to that mode, the default mode network. And when it's in that mood, what it does is that it is coming up with ideas. You're not aware of those ideas, but it's happening. Yeah. So, one of the, the one of the main reasons why we th- we think that um, ideas drop on us suddenly is because we are not aware of what is happening in our brains because it's a subconscious process. That's one. Secondly, even when these ideas come to our subconscious, they mostly come as hunches. So a a hunch is. It's an idea that on its own is not complete or is impartial. So you have an idea, but you really don't know what to do with the idea. You have an idea that this, this idea might work, but on its own, it's incomplete. So that's how, it, that's how a lot of good ideas come about. They come as hunches. Now, to turn a hunch into something insightful and valuable requires what I call a spark. Yeah. Now, a spark is caused by a collision of existing ideas or hunches with the idea in my head. So I have a hunch, I'm thinking of something, but it's not very clear to me. And suddenly I read about something or something happens and that idea or that hunch collides with what already is in my mind. Yeah. And creates something, it, it, yeah. that, that hunch moves to a good idea because it has received additional information to take the initial hunch I have into something useful. Now, when that happens, we assume it is at that moment that that idea, idea came. Was ad, idea yes. was formed. No, the idea has been brewing in our minds. It's been there. A spark happened that made us, that made that idea come into something that is of value. So that is the reason why we we assume that it's at that moment of the spark that that idea came about. That's not necessarily true. But can that? Can these things ever be done consciously, or is just how the brain works? I mean, some, some part of it is subconscious. Like I said, the default mode network, its operation is subconscious. It basically does, it's, it's an idea generator. It's generating ideas. Now, some of those ideas will come to your, con- to your to consciousness. You are aware of them and you play with them. It's a hunch, meaning that on its own, it really cannot offer the value that you want. So you have it at the back of your mind, but you can't do anything with that idea. Then some other idea you read about or you come across or you see something happen, it collides with the hunch that is that is in your mind and you have more clarity as to what you can do with that idea. That's what I call the spark. But most people assume that the the day that spark happens is the day the idea idea was formed. No. It's been happening months, for some people, even years. Interesting. Yeah, so let me use an example to, to explain that. I think, I mean, you know the game of Scrabble, right? Yes. Uh, so let's assume you have uh, three 
two letters. A letter A and letter P. Letter uh, P. P. Okay. okay. And uh, even even before you have a third the third letter, you're already playing around with those two letters to know what sort of words you come yes. from, right? Yes. So, assuming you now get the letter C and you form the word cap, when did you form the word cap? Was it when you got letter C or when you or was it when you had letters A and letters P? When I had A and P, exactly, I was already yeah. thinking of something that I, that I can form with those words. Exactly. And when C came up, it just only made sense that it would be cap. Exactly. So, it's, it's the same thing. So, you always have ideas, you know, but some of those ideas are not very clear. Or you have additional information or additional insight, then you are able to add what you currently have with what you had before and you come up with something beautiful. And that is how creativity is most of the time. So this is how how I I see it. I think the more diverse materials you give your brain to play with, the higher probability that you come up with something unique and diverse. So creativity is about combinations. Okay. As random as the generation of new ideas might seem, there is some order and logic to the process. This is explained by the theory called the adjacent possible. So I'm sure you want to help explain that theory of adjacent possible. I mean, the the theory of, of adjacent possible came from evolutionary biology, but we can use it to understand a lot about creativity. So in creativity and innovation, the adjacent possible represents all of the numerous possible combinations and new inventions that could be based on what already exists. It tells us that any new idea is a result of whatever already exists. I would like to use the example of the Scrabble that we, that we talked about. Now, when you are playing a game of Scrabble, the words you, are, you can come up with is dependent on the alphabets that you have. Yeah, you could you could think of any fancy word you want to come up with. As long as you don't have the alphabet, you can't come up with, with that word. particular word. Yeah. that's what the adjacent possible is also saying. It's saying that any new idea that is going to come up will be based on An ideas that are already idea. existing. So, in, in short, even though creativity seems um, random and the same as if anything can happen at, at any given time. If you really look at it, the new ideas that are going to come up are ideas that are going to use what is already existing. And I'll use an example of that. Uh, The telephone, okay, was within the adjacent possible of the telegraph. The telegraph was a device that was created for long-distance transmission of text information. Now, the telephone is a device that transmits voice over a long distance. So once the telegraph had been invented, the telephone was within the adjacent possible of the telegraph because it used the same theories and concepts. Rather than transmit uh, text, this time it transmitted voice. So, So that's what the adjacent possible tells us. And it was for this reason that two people, Graham Bell and Elisha Gray, on the same day submitted patents for the telephone. They were working independently. Now, the reason they could do that was because they were looking at the same starting material, which was yeah. the telegraph. Yeah. They knew that the telegraph could transmit 
long distance uh, data and um, text. So they were also looking at the possibility of a device that could transmit voice over a long distance. And that's how they came up with the with telephone. You mentioned something earlier um, when you were speaking. You said that the more uh, materials the brain has to play with, the higher the probability will come up with, you know, something unique or something. So that means that there's a role that, you know, the environment plays on developing new ideas. So what role do you think the environment plays in the development of these new ideas? I mean, I would say it's, it's, it's huge and it's massive. And the, the tendency for a lot of people when it comes to creativity and innovation is to focus on the person, on the individual, on the intellectual capacity of the, of the individual. But, I mean, we, we emphasize this a lot in season one, uh, where, where we emphasize the fact that the environment plays a huge role. Now, um, there are two, two ways I think the environment determines uh, creativity. One, a creative environment is one that feeds its members with diverse materials, with, you know, several things. When you use that to understand how the adjacent possible works, you are enriching the possibility for the members in that environment to have lots of materials to play with. Yeah. And the more materials they have to play with, the more they can come up with new ideas. So, a creative environment is one that feeds its members with diverse and new materials. And we had said this, that things like job rotation, uh, moving people around are ways companies can ensure that they enhance creativity. And what we are saying now is that there is a thinking behind that because the more people move across different uh, departments... They have a lot of things. Exactly, yeah. They are, they, are open, they are open to a lot more areas and opportunities and that basically enhances their, their, their creativity. creativity. I, I, I'll use an example to explain this. Um, between the 14th and the 17th century in Europe and across the world was a, was a period called the Renaissance. And it was a time of tremendous you know, growth and improvement in you know, just the well-being of humans. Now, uh, there were several families in Europe that were benefactors to uh, artists, musicians, scientists. One of those families was called the Medici family in Florence, Italy. What they did was that they had several uh, people who they sponsored. And what happened was that because the, because they sponsored several people in arts, architecture, you know, medicine, these people came together and interacted. And what they found out was that that interaction between different, you know, scientists, artists, was one of the reasons why this was a period of immense growth and development in Europe because people from different areas came together and they were learning from each other. And the learnings from each other helped them come up with new ideas that actually progressed um, in Europe at that point in time. That's one. Secondly, a creative environment encourages new ways of combining parts. And there are two ways we can, we can look at that. One, in a creative environment, rules and regulations are always fluid. They are always subject to change rather than being seen as fixed. And I will use the Dick Frosby example to, to explain that. Uh, remember Dick Frosby, yeah. the guy who created the new way of high jumping. Yes. Now, it's easy for us to appreciate you know, his capacity to come up with that new 
style of jumping. But some years before he came up with that style of jumping, the material on which the jumpers landed on was changed from sawdust to foam. Now, without that change from sawdust to foam, Dick Crosby would never have been able to come up with that style of jumping. So the, the movement from sawdust or sand to mattress was an environment that allowed Dick Crosby to come up with a new way of jumping. Without that change in the rules, there's no way he could have come up with, with, yeah. with that. So, for example, if Dick Crosby had had that idea 20 years earlier, he would never have been able to... He, he, it would have been a hunch. Yes. But without the no without the material of, of 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 a foam that allows somebody to land comfortably, there is no way he could have thought about that way of jumping. So we see how the environment encourages you know people to come up with new ideas because it creates an environment for people to combine existing parts into new parts. That 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 yeah, that's what you want to say something, Zika? Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, um, employers. This is something that is very very important and necessary because. We sometimes feel like, you know, employees are not, they're not bringing any new idea, yeah. they're not doing anything. Meanwhile, the environment is very rigid and rigid. it doesn't yeah. encourage. I mean, I, I think rigid is an understatement. At times, the environment is hostile to creativity, mm. very mm. hostile. Mm. Wow. Do you have any more points? Yes. Secondly, um, I, I think, again, we mentioned this in season one, I, companies can also deliberately put their systems in flux just to encourage creativity. And remember, we talked about Miles Davis, who would um, just put his team members on the spot so that they can think differently. And remember, one of such recordings that he did in New York, you know, is one of Miles Davis' greatest um, recordings ever. And it was, it was a recording where he basically just put his team members on the spot. He made them play some of the notes they were familiar with in, you know, in different keys. Mm. I think we should keep the rest for the second part. <laughs> um, thank you so much. It's been very enlightening. Um, I think one of the major things that we have es- established in this part of the episode is that no creative idea is abstract or just happens. They come from an already existing thought or theory or something in the mind before and that's why it's very important to create an environment where the brain has so much to work with to play with that even when there's that hunch there's you know there's something that is created or made you know whether it's the rules that are being fluid or job rotation or whatever that can cause the spark and then the idea is born i I mean I, i think for me one of the reasons why i think this episode is very important is there are people out there who genuinely, you know, are focused on coming up with good ideas. But because of lack of information or, you know, because of not having the right information, they go about things, you know, uh, the wrong way. And I mentioned something Stephen Justin said. He said that the trick of coming up with good ideas is not in isolation. That is a perspective that a lot of people assume that that's how to get good ideas. You know, if I lock myself in one room, you know, and I think and I think and I think, something will come out of nowhere. No. Good ideas come out of existing ideas. So the more you expose yourself to existing ideas, the more you know about what's happening, concepts, theories, the the wider you read, the more 
spare part you are giving yourself in being creative. I think for me that is very important. So practically, read wide, um, get a new hobby, do a lot of things that are different so your mind has something to work with. It's not in, you know, being in a quiet space. I'm trying to think of something that an idea will just drop. Yeah. Off, out of the blues. Yeah. So we would discuss a lot of that in, in part two. In part two. <laughs> I mean, for part one, it was just for us to lay down some concepts and theories. But in part two, we go a bit practical. deeper and we give some practical steps that individuals and companies can apply in helping their employees or the individuals to become more creative. Thank you, Aziz. So you've heard him. Um, we have a bit of an understanding from this part, and but to go more to have a better understanding on what we're talking about, please listen to the next part. Um, as always, this podcast is edited and produced by Joshua Praise, and the soundtrack is an original music by Justo Christos, and the poster is designed by Joseph Okafo and Faith Follering. Do have a creative week.